Hi, I'm Melissa from the Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service, and I'm here to introduce you to the Common Path podcast. These have been developed to support people who have been diagnosed with cancer. Listening to this podcast will provide you with an opportunity to learn from others who have already experienced cancer. They share how they made decisions, what they learned along the way, what helped and what they wish they had known. In this podcast, you'll hear from three people who have been diagnosed with esophagogastric cancer. Peter was diagnosed in 2009 with stomach cancer and he initially received chemotherapy to reduce the size of the cancer, which was followed by surgery and then another course of chemotherapy. Ben's esophagogastric cancer was first diagnosed in 2009 and then again in 2015. His treatments have included surgery, chemotherapy and radiotherapy. And finally Ian, who was diagnosed in 2011. His cancer was located at the junction of the esophagus and stomach and he received surgery to treat his cancer. You can find information and support for people with esophagogastric cancer at pancare.org.au. Each of the podcast participants has their own story to tell and will bring their unique experiences to the discussion. In this first section, Diagnosis, they start by talking about their own cancer diagnosis, how they reacted and how they coped. Um, I was initially diagnosed on the 20th of August 2009 and uh, I'd had a gastroscopy, sorry, and um, it was a follow-up procedure from an ulcer that I'd had, and I was just expecting it to be nothing, and then the surgeon who did the gastroscopy said, sorry, I've got some bad news, and I was like, what do you mean? Um, And he said, it's cancer. So that sort of really shocked me. Um, As I said, I sort of had gone in just for a follow-up for what I thought was just a simple ulcer, to then being told it was cancer. Yeah, well, I um, was having problems swallowing food for a while and um, I went back to my doctor a few times and he tried a few different things and decided in the end that he needed to do a, a scope to check something wasn't quite right. And that was the start of a four-week whirlwind where I um, had a lot of testing um, but in, in Gippsland and then I was referred to Peter Mac um, and saw the, saw the surgeon at Peter Mac in early February 2011 and three weeks later I had a um, uh, major operation where they basically took all my, most of my esophagus out and a fair bit of my stomach. I was diagnosed in November 2009 and uh, was rushed off to hospital because I had a had a bleeder, vomited up nearly two litres of blood at the GP and um, was rushed off to hospital and basically was in hospital for four days and was told that this is what I've got, GI cancer. And uh, basically um, I was already shown a plan of what I was going to be doing. I was told that I was going to be doing chemotherapy first, nine weeks of chemo, and then following after that, doing surgery and then possibly another round of nine weeks of chemo. It it was really difficult to sort of comprehend what was going on. Um, I was only 44. Um, At the time, we we were about to get married in about two or three weeks' time. 
and my wife-to-be, she was six months pregnant. So it was pretty emotional. Um, I thought it'd be a fairly simple thing to fix up. Uh, but equally, I was, I was terrified. Um, terrified of dying, terrified of leaving my children without a father, terrified of leaving my wife without a you know, husband. It's like you hit a brick wall in one way. Your life is just going along and suddenly you have this fork in the road and, yeah, it was very daunting. Um, the best thing I did was I had intentions of working right to my operation. I went to work. I lasted two hours. Couldn't do it anymore. I went home. I walked for three weeks with my dog. And I think I got, that had two pronged, it made me fitter for the operation, but it just got any anger that I had dissipated and I was ready for, to face the operation and challenge the head. It, the emotions of being diagnosed was, one of the first things was, have I caused this? Have I done something over the course of my life to actually have created this? Um, and that, that was a difficult one to really sort of comprehend that it was just unfortunate. Um, it wasn't because of anything that I'd done over my life, it wasn't my lifestyle, it was just... One of the things I have learned is that cancer doesn't discriminate. I was scared. Um, I knew I had to just just uh, get on with it and... and Because uh, I knew that with what I was dealing with was really serious and uh, the type of cancer I had uh, was incredibly aggressive and was told that uh, I had to physically and mentally get fit for this. And at the same time, myself and my wife uh, had uh, asked our oncologist about seeing a psychologist and we, we dealt with a lady who deals with, with cancer patients and we still see her today and she's an amazing woman. Um, and that's helped me get my head around things a lot. In this section, Making Treatment Decisions, you'll hear about how they made decisions about their treatment and what were some of the issues they needed to think about. When I was diagnosed, to then sort of look at what treatment I'd have, um, as I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't know anything about it. Um, in my sort of history of cancer was sort of permanent. Um, and it was only my children who sort of, they were really confident that it's just cancer and you can beat it. Um, so I started looking at different options and, and spoke to my GP and then I was offered a, an opportunity to go on a medical trial. So I looked at all the, the options that I had and spoke to and got a second opinion. I have a really good friend who's a doctor as well and he sort of helped me with that choice um, and also my wife and, and family. With my first appointment with the surgeon at Peter Mac, um, he gave me a range of options, um, but also gave me his preferred option, uh, which was at the top, which was surgery, and then follow up with uh, radiation or chemo if required, um, and that seemed to me to be the best. You know, he gave me that confidence as well and he said that's you know you you just that was that was I felt that was the the best way to go so that's what we did went through all the risks went through, you know but he was also very reassuring um you know in that the um with what they're doing these days you know there was there's still low there's still risks but it you know he was very confident uh fortunately I had my 
wife with me and I had my son with me um, who was studying to be study, studying to be me, to do medicine at the time but um, so it was just good to have that support as well um, just so that and also you just get you know they are they were able to ask questions as well but it was yeah it just it just rather than this whirlwind of information myself and or my wife uh, did a lot of research on the internet as well um, and um, we went and got advice from other oncologists as well about from when I was diagnosed a second time but um, the advice that they gave us was yeah good it was very good and said that uh, with what I was doing was the right thing to do. I suppose in one aspect of the, the image that I was portraying to my family and friends on the exterior was that yeah I'm okay but internally I, I wasn't um, and that I think I mentioned earlier about that sort of shift or that that perception of being a man and not showing your emotions and sort of being in control of everything and that, that was the thing I really learnt that I couldn't control this um, and to try to just control how I responded to that. Got on Google and got scared so turned it off because um, all I saw on Google was um, people that had been diagnosed with what I had and all the horror stories so I stopped I've actually decided no this is not a, this is not the place to go. My wife has been unbelievable. She's been literally the rock. She has made all the financial decisions. She's sourced things on the internet, chased everything until she's got the answers that she's wanted um, from other sources, from other oncologists that we've seen. Um, and then come back and we've discussed it and discussed it with our team as well. It's the best thing that two of us working together as a team. Um, I've been mainly focused on work, doing treatment and trying to get as much rest as I possibly can and then I've let Tony do all the, all the other stuff, the paperwork, the sourcing of information if we've needed to source. Um, trying to keep my diet and everything in check. We, whenever we see oncologists, we've always got a list of questions um, and we've always done that from day one. Um, whenever we've seen advice from other oncologists or seen second opinions, we've always had a list of questions before we go. I did have private health insurance, but it was a combination of private and public because the trial was a public trial. So, um, I had some aspects of it was private. Um, I had my surgery in, in a private hospital, Cabrini, mm -hmm. but then all my other treatment <clears throat> and the ongoing sort of treatment afterwards was all through public system. The other thing that I did do before I had my operation was I wrote down six things that I was going to do that year. And they were quite varied, but I felt that if I did them that year, and I did them all that year too, but it was, um, I'd be well on the road to recovery. And one of that was I, I'm a, I have a pilot's licence and I was determined to get back to fly a plane. And I knew that was going to be a challenge, but I did it. In this section about treatment, you'll hear about the treatment they each received, as well as some of the side effects they experienced and how they managed them. Not everybody experiences side effects, 
and they can vary from person to person, depending on the type and dose of the treatment you receive. The treatment I had was nine weeks of chemotherapy, um, which was I was on 24-7. And then after that, there was a six-week break. Then I had surgery. Um, I had a total gastrectomy. And then about six weeks after that, I went back on another nine weeks of chemo. Um, Insofar as how it felt, it was shocking. It was really, really tough. Um, I was fortunate in the sense that I was fairly young um, and also fairly fit and healthy. So it's quite bizarre that they give you stuff to make you sick, to make you feel better. I had a 12-hour operation at Peter Mac. Uh, they removed most of my esophagus, 40% of my stomach, um, checked my lymph nodes, Checked my liver, checked everything. Uh, put my st- re rearranged my stomach so it sits up here now. In regards to preparing myself for treatment, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, I thought in my own head that certain things would happen, but in reality it was far different. Um, when I, I sort of took the choice of taking time off to sort of recover, um, it didn't prepare me at all. So. I thought I could relax, if you like, and sort of um, do all these things. Part of the treatment that I had, though, was having what they call a pick line. Um, so I was on chemotherapy for nine weeks initially, and a pick line is where they, they put a, a line in just underneath your bicep, and it goes into your heart, and you're actually hooked up to a bottle of chemotherapy. Um, and because of that, I couldn't do sort of much exercise. I couldn't lift my arm above my shoulder. <clears throat> so there was a lot of restriction. So the, the picture I had in my head about how it would be to what reality was was quite different. Um, it would have, for myself, I suppose, if I had have known all that prior, it would have been a big difference in my sort of thought process. When I was first diagnosed, I had nine weeks of chemo. Then I went through surgery, which was about four weeks after. And then I was supposed to go through, after the surgery, I was supposed to go through another nine weeks of chemo, but was told that I'd got everything and I didn't need the second round of chemo. And six years down the track, after, after being diagnosed the first time, I've been re-diagnosed again in mu- numerous spots and have had to go through already probably I've done a year already of chemo and um, I've had a, in between I've had a two month break and I've done 10 sessions of radiotherapy on one side and um, now currently doing more chemo. It was quite interesting how you're, I felt I almost became selfish in that regard um, and in a sense it was all about me. We're looking back at it it was also also about her and the, and the children, you know, and, and my family and um, loved ones, because they all get impacted by this as well. Um, now, I know now that there's a lot of support through the Cancer Council and there's a lot of organisations that can help. My cancer psychologist um, helped us to deal with, or uh, showed us a plan on how to deal with asking the right questions um, to ask oncologists, uh, GPs. She also helped us put in strategies in place on how to deal with 
difficult family, uh, people giving the wrong advice, um, because you will get a lot of that, and we got our fair share. Um, and also, she helped us out immensely with um, just general life on just being on how to deal with everything. And I was really fortunate that um, we were working together as a team. She was extremely supportive. Um, and I know when we'd go for different treatments and things, prior to going, she would sort of, we would sit down and work out, okay, what things do we want to colour? And she would write them down. Um, so then when we were seeing the doctor, we would talk about different things. Quite often there'd be things I'd forget and she would actually raise them and, and we'll talk about them then. I'm currently still working full time and the people that I work for are fantastic and started off working a few hours a day and increasing that over, over the period of a year to I got back to full time work. Uh, where I am now, uh, I work full time bar when I do my treatment. At the completion of my treatment it was actually really strange. So going from a really structured format in a sense of knowing where you had to be, you had these appointments, you got these tests. And even though it was intrusive, but it was also, you knew that they really cared about you and wanted to make sure you're okay. Mm. To all of a sudden having nothing was very difficult to sort of, I suppose, adjust to. In this final section, what helped? You'll hear about some of the things that helped them through their diagnosis and treatment. For me, some of the things that sort of helped keep me going, if you like, was not giving up hope. Um, coming to the understanding that most of these things were out of my control. And it's a really interesting thing because I know as, for myself, I sort of went to that deepest, darkest point of the most worst thing that could ever happen. And I think that's just natural. Um, but what I had to sort of try to focus on was the things that I could control. Um, and that was really listening to the advice of the doctors and the, the sort of experts in the field, following the best treatment that they sort of thought would help me. Um, really savouring the moments with my children. So I did all this walking beforehand. After the operation, I could, if I could walk 20 yards, that was great, and it just slowly, you slowly built on it. But um, that was a way, of, I think, in my own mind, I felt the... It was, I could feel if I was getting, it was a way of, um, it was a way that I could sort of benchmark that I was getting better because if I could only walk 50 metres this week and I could walk 70 metres next week, I must be getting better. A, you will forget a lot of things. Um, and as you're going through your, your journey, um, whether it being surgery first or chemo first, um, when you have a, a problem, it's easier to jot it down and that way it's already in place. And when you go to see your profession, your surgeon, oncologist, whoever you're seeing, um, the question, the answers of what you've been going through is there and written down and you don't need to remember, it's already there for you. Um, makes life a lot easier. It's the same with when you come to meeting a professional, you have questions, do the same thing as well. It takes five minutes to write down your problems and just a lot easier to remember everything. I don't, I still can get 
stress from time to time and things like that. But I tend to, uh, I think I, um, I'll let, I'll go back up. I don't, uh, think that I'm the only person that can do anything anymore. Um, I take time out. Um, I live for today. Um, and you know, don't sweat the small. You know, you, you know, there's a lot of things in life that you think are really important, and they're not really that important at all. So, it's. Um, I think my priorities have, my just my whole priorities have changed. Um, I do a lot, lot more travel, or I might have a, you know, have a have a busy day, busy week at work, and come. Friday, oh, well, might have an early, might have an early day this week. Come back refreshed next week, rather than trying to plough on. We hope that the information in this podcast has been valuable. There are some general strategies that we recommend you follow when diagnosed with cancer, many of which have already been spoken about. However, they include learn all you can about your diagnosis and the available treatment options. Take someone with you to all of your cancer-related appointments. They can help you remember what was said, and it's a good idea to ask them to take notes during the meeting to help with this. Prepare your questions before your appointments, and don't be afraid to ask them. Keep a copy of your medical information. Seek and accept help when needed. And finally, talk to members of your healthcare team about appropriate exercise. For further information, don't forget you can contact the Cancer Council Information and Support Service on 13 11 20, where you can speak directly with a cancer nurse, or you can visit their website at www.cancervic.org.au. And to find out what you can expect as you move from diagnosis to treatment, check out the What to Expect guides at www cancerpathways.org.au As a final piece of advice, please remember to discuss any concerns or questions you have with your treating team. They will know your personal circumstances and will be able to provide you with the most appropriate information and advice. You can also watch this podcast as a video. Just go to YouTube and once there, search for A Common Path, Cancer Support and Advice. You can then follow the link to the video you want. Our thanks go to Peter, Ben and Ian who have generously shared their experiences to make this podcast possible. The Northeastern Melbourne Integrated Cancer Service would also like to acknowledge the support of the Victorian Government who made the production of this podcast possible.